All right. <laughs> Welcome, everybody. Uh, how are we doing today? <laughs> All right. Yeah, that's what we want to hear. Yeah. All right. Survived the storms last night. Unfortunately, not entirely intact. For those that suffered some damage, our hearts go out to them. And uh, I know I was a little nervous last night. As some of you know, I, I've haunt, been haunted for years by technology demons. Uh, we've often tell the story of back when my first job at Hope was projector man and we had a demon-possessed slide projector and you'd hit buttons and it would just take off on its own. And Well, last night our power went out and I had everything prepared for today, but of course it's all on the computer. And believe it or not, I often joke and talk about my computer is so old it's coal-powered, <laughs> but it actually does run on electricity. And I thought, Wow, now what if I can't get all this stuff out of there? i got to start over, so glad that came back on. But, uh, but So that all worked out, as things often do. Oh, and by the way, we want to dismiss the kids. If there's any left to promise land, did I get that done? See, I keep forgetting things. So with that done, we're continuing today in a series uh, on the long form of the serenity prayer. And uh, you can piece that together in your worship bulletin uh, on that little extra tear-out page. It's all listed there. But today we're covering uh, the part that says, Trusting that you will make all things right if I surrender to your will. Uh, in general, I love this serenity prayer because living in today's world, I'm sure you will agree that... Uh, there's so many things going on right now that I just don't have a place to file it. <laughs> There's things that don't fit anywhere. So part of the reason we lack serenity, we lack peace of mind, is because it doesn't seem like some things fit anywhere. And even worse, because we are all subject to deception, we all have a lying lower nature. Our head has nothing better to do than to lie to us, to pipe in deception. And that deception is designed to separate us from each other and separate us from God. So unfortunately, a lot of things get filed in the wrong slot. For instance, for years, I had this huge file called the Blame God file. And it's amazing how many things ended up in there that didn't belong in there, even though it felt like they fit. So I love series like this because it helps us, hopefully, to find a place to file things correctly. And one of my spiritual advisors many years ago, a man named Father Rock, he was a Catholic priest who often joked around and told me I was priestly material, so I had to remind him, Rock, I'm not Catholic. <laughs> I don't think they'll let me in. But... <laughs> but Rock often talked about this process that he called taking on the mind of Christ. C.S. Lewis, in his book Mere Christianity, talked about a similar thing, about how if we follow the teachings of Christianity and implement them and allow God's Spirit into us, we become little Christs. We start to become more Christ-like. And part of this process of taking on the mind of Christ is we start to see this world through his eyes. 
we start to think like Jesus thought. And even more importantly, we start to feel what he felt and what he still feels. So as this goes on, we start to understand that it's okay to not be okay. I didn't know that. (laughs) Somebody had to explain to me that I'm not supposed to be happy about everything. I shouldn't feel good about some of the things going on in this world. But you see, God is a perfect parent, a perfect father. And for those that have children, we talked a little bit about this last week. Is your job as a parent to insulate your children from all pain? Is your job as a parent just fix everything for your kids? Of course not. In fact, if you do those things, you make things worse instead of better for your children. Lessons are what we get when we don't get what we want. And that's certainly true in raising children. So God as a perfect parent hasn't abandoned us to this world. It's exactly the opposite. He walks with us every step of the way and provides what we need, but not necessarily what we want. And part of being a parent also is you feel your children's pain. God feels pain. See, when I have formed my original conception of God, and we did some great teachings on this over the years, my conception of God was a bulletproof God that felt no pain. And if he had emotion, it was like the British, you know, that one single tear running down his, his cheek and keep a stiff upper lip, you know, and, and not an emotional God. But that's exactly the opposite of the truth. God feels pain. Jesus wept, and in the translation from the Greek, it didn't mean just, you know, suck it up. When Christ cried, he bawled like a baby, very emotional. And I think that's a a critical thing. When we form a conception of God, we cannot leave out the emotions. God feels pain. He feels our pain. And that's critical. But another aspect of that is God also feels anger. Is it a sin to be angry? No. Does God get angry? Yes, he does. And now today, I'm frankly kind of happy about that because he should feel angry. And you see, that doesn't make him a sinner. It doesn't make God less than God. In fact, it makes him exactly who and what he is. Because it's not wrong to feel mad or bad or sad about things. In fact, if somebody can live in this world today and watch the news and, and not feel anger and pain well up inside of them, I not only worry about their spiritual condition, I not only worry about their spirituality, I quite frankly question their sanity. <laughs> because how can you see what's going on and not have an emotional reaction to it? So... The problem, though, with being humans walking through this world, because we all seek peace, we all want to be happy. So what do we do? Do we meditate? No, we medicate. (laughs) 
And what we do is we seek alternative avenues to peace of mind. Some of those involve just shutting off our feelings. Uh, some people turn not just to drugs or alcohol, but there's all kinds of addictive substances out there and behaviors. But it really, all of our false gods in this world, and that's what addiction is, anything but the real God for a God. But all of these false gods involve either numbing ourselves so we don't feel anything or uh, seeking pleasure to increase our good feelings. Um, remember that uh, great Pink Floyd song, Comfortably Numb. I have become comfortably numb. To some people, that's attractive. I don't care if I don't feel good. I just don't want to feel anything. I just want to be numb. And for others, they want to get high. They want to feel great all the time. But the deceptive part of those desires is that sometimes we want to feel good, but not be good. <laughs> sometimes we want to feel healthy, but we don't want to get healthy. So what we're doing is deceiving our very souls into feeling different than we really should feel. That's why I love this ministry at Hope, because authenticity is a huge component of spirituality. God doesn't want us to say the right thing. He wants us to say the real thing, to be honest, and to acknowledge how we think and feel. It's okay to not be okay. So, one of the things we put in our worship bulletin is part of the Beatitudes. And this is what the Bible says about how we think and feel. It says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. It's okay to mourn. It's okay to feel pain and sadness. That is a, an okay thing to do, according to the Bible. It's also okay to be meek. See, unfortunately, the word meek rhymes with the word weak. So when I hear meek, I think of somebody who doesn't do anything because they can't. They have no power. They have no strength. But meekness is accurately defined not as being weak, but on the opposite. Tremendous power under control. See, if you have a little dog, you, you wouldn't describe that dog as meek. But if you have a big dog that doesn't bite or doesn't uh, snap at children when they pull his food bowl away, that you can pull its tail and ears and it's not going to attack. See, that is a meek dog but it's often associated with strength under control, meek. See, sometimes we don't do anything because we assume we have no power, but we have tremendous power because of who we are in God. But sometimes we're called to stand down. You know, I put in here, don't flip out. <laughs> Another word for that is uh, uh, don't go sideways. That was the word we often used when somebody would just flip out and go vigilante. Oh, man, he went sideways. 
But that's a good word because when you go sideways, you get off the right path and take an exit. So be meek. Well, we don't need to flip out. We don't need to take the law into our own hands. But meekness is, a, is important. The third thing is, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. They will be fed. We'll get a full belly. And you see, when, when we see injustice, that has always been my personal trigger. I think the first words out of my mouth as a kid was, it's not fair. It wasn't good enough that my mom gave my brother and me M&Ms. Now we have to count to see who got more. Even Stephen, uh, fair's fair. Uh, everything had to be equal. So injustice, ju- that's the thing I never had a place to file because I thought a God who is less than fair is less than God. How can God be unjust? And it would literally, if you're hungry, all you can think about is food. (laughs) It becomes a consuming passion to just, man, I just got to eat. If you're thirsty, same thing. And we know how good it feels. How good it feels to be fed is directly proportionate to how hungry we are. There's a stand-up comic that did this thing about if you're starving and somebody gives you a cracker, man, oh man, that's the best cracker I've ever had. This ain't no ordinary cracker. This is a gourmet cracker. <laughs> man, I got to get me some of these. What brand is this? So, and, but if you're not hungry, somebody offers you a cracker, it's like, what else you got? <laughs> so the more hungry we are for righteousness, for justice, See, the more hungry, starved we are for a resolution in this world, the more passionate we're going to become about fulfilling that. So that's another component of authentic spirituality. And finally, the part of this beatitude that applies is it talks in here about blessed are uh, the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And you see, that is a, I think, so much of an important component to how I view people and how I view this world. Because most of my life, I separated people by two camps, good and bad. Good guys, bad guys. So I judged everything, evaluated, and and it wasn't just people. Everything had to be either good or bad. I love how the Bible addresses that because what it says is, Nothing is inherently good or inherently bad. It all depends on whose hands it's in. You see, nothing is so good that in the devil's hands it can't be forged into a weapon that he can beat me with. There's Nothing is so bad, on the other hand, that God can't mold it into a blessing. That's why it, it was so challenging when I finally found that line in in the Bible where it said, uh, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. See, in God's hands, everything can be a blessing. Now, we often judge things like money, good or bad. Well, it depends on where you got it and what you're going to spend it on. Uh, Strength, good or bad. Well, it depends on what you're doing with that strength. Guns, you know, big things on gun control. Guns good, guns bad. Well, it really depends on who's pointing them at you (laughs) or who's holding them. 
you know, some some criminal goes sideways with a gun, first thing you do is call 911, send more guns. <laughs> so, but the point is, it, it really, nothing is inherently good or bad. Anything can be used for good or evil. So, once I started to understand that, you see, I used to view people as being bad, but I was taught to view myself as not a bad guy, I'm spiritually sick. So if I'm spiritually sick, then I need healing. If I'm bad, I need to be punished. And that was one thing that always amazed me, like, uh, you know, in the TV show Cops, remember when Cops was on the air? It always fascinated me how the police approached people entirely differently if they knew they were mentally ill versus if they were a criminal. They were much more gentle, much more patient. They talk to people in a different way, but that makes sense because mercy is something we often think of extending to the sick. And that's exactly uh, how we start to see things and file things as we take on the mind of Christ. So we're talking today about trust, trusting God. And one of the things that trust entails is we start to trust the Bible and trust what God says. So the truth of the Bible, it tells us repetitively in the Bible, God is slow to anger and quick to forgive. In my case, that was received as great news. <laughs> I'm really got, glad that God is slow to anger. And if you think about it, there's really three elements that come into play with this. The first one is, how do we learn to trust God? Well, I think part of it is, in order to trust God, it really is critical to understand God's true nature and character, right? Mike often talks about the gospel, which is a word that means good news. And it leads the question, what exactly is the news and what makes that news good? I was taught to believe that the gospel message is simply a message that says there is a God. And the nature of that God is he is friendly. He is a loving God. Because God is love, that means God is merciful, God is kind, God is gentle, God is patient, God is benevolent, God is a providing God, he is a helpful God, he is a protecting God. All of that is the result of the fact, the truth, that God is love. And that is the main message, I believe, of the New Testament. It is a revelation of the nature and character of God. But that alone isn't enough to convince us that God is trustworthy. The second element that helped me immensely was other people's testimonies, other people's experience. I came into church and time and time and time again, people would tell me their own stories about how God helped them, God saved them, God served them. And the evidence became overwhelming that if God would do that for them, maybe he would do that for me. 
And that led to the third component that taught me I could trust God, which was personal experience. You see, if you want to see the grace of God, we have to start by asking the right question. Instead of asking the question, what happened? What we should ask is what didn't happen. God set in motion laws that govern this universe. And one of the laws, there's a law of mathematics. One of the laws of mathematics says that fate is 50-50. If you flip a coin a hundred times, it's half heads, half tails, right? You can't break that. Uh, There's laws of averages, laws of odds. For instance, gambling is a 100% deal. You can always win gambling if you understand the laws of mathematics. Because what you do, you don't gamble, you buy the casino. (laughs) (laughs) Because the laws of mathematics will teach you, you cannot lose if you are the house. Because the odds favor the house. Simple. So, one of the laws that governs this world, then, is mathematical. But then we look at our own lives and we ask ourselves, what didn't happen? And that's where you start to see how something, somebody, has radically shifted the odds into our favor. See, with the life I led, I believe today God was never more active in my life than he was before I got here because that's when I needed him most, when I was out running and gunning on the streets. I think, yeah, I wrecked some cars, but how many didn't I wreck? Yeah, I caught some diseases. How many didn't I catch? Yeah, I might have got beat up a couple of times, but how many times did I lip off where I should have got beat up? I look back at how many things I was exposed to, how many risks, how many dangers. And if, if you... Or look at it this way. How many things have we worried about over the past few years? Think of all the fears you had, and now think of how many came true. How many of those things we worried about actually happened? They all could have. That's why we worry. But did they happen? No. And you see, when we start to see things from that angle, we start to see the grace of God. How what we experience in this life, somebody up there is truly looking out for us. And that's just the truth. And then with that in mind, I started to realize that the only real difference between me and them is time. You see, I hit a personal bottom on the night of February 3rd of 1984. And I had a moment of clarity, an epiphany. I had this moment of truth. And I did what the Bible said. I repented. And instead of running from God, I turned and faced him and moved towards him. And that was a long process. It took years in my case. But I did that. That happened for me in 1984. I know I've met literally thousands of people since then that turned afterwards. Some turned before. But And there are also a lot of people out there that haven't turned yet. So the only difference between me and them is time. Someday, given enough time, they may turn, or they may never turn. But I don't know that. God does. So we start to see things in that light. And last week, we talked a little bit about comparing this to getting in a lifeboat. 
See, when the Titanic hit that iceberg, there were stories that came out in the aftermath of that tragedy of people who they found out their true nature and character because they jumped into these lifeboats and tried to cut the ropes and launch them. They didn't want to wait for other people to get in. So when that, these stories started to come out about how selfish these people were, the people were just enraged. How can you be that selfish? But yet, I think at some level, we all can be. Because when I got into God's lifeboat, it's like, oh, judgment day, bring it on. I'm, I'm going to be okay. <laughs> but the whole point isn't just that we get saved. Now we need to start pulling other people into God's lifeboat. That's why he's slow to anger. He's saving as many as he can. That's why he's quick to forgive, because taking punishment off the table, it lets them into the lifeboat. So as I started to alter or correct, I should say, my misconception of God, I started to say, okay, does God deny justice? I can't live with a God that says there's no, never going to be any justice. But the justice of God is not denied. And then I thought, well, maybe it's delayed. I can live with delayed justice, knowing he will make it right, just not today. And I'm glad, because like I said, I ran out of time in 1984. And if God would have slammed the door bef you know, before then, I would have been on the outside. So is God saying, I will make it right, just not yet? See, when I read the Bible, it doesn't talk about justice denied or justice delayed. It uses a different term, divine justice. Interesting. There's a lot of facets to that. That's a whole other series. But the one that applies to me today as I study divine justice, it's not that God is going to make it right. It's that God already did. It's not that God's going to fix it. God already fixed it. Through the hope of heaven, he already made it right. Oh, I don't, I'm not happy with my body. My body's sick. Things don't work. You know, getting older, aches and pains. God, God already made a new body for me. It's waiting for me. God already made a new place. Oh, this planet's falling apart and everything is going wonky down here. God already has a new place for me to live. Oh, there's no problem that I can have that God hasn't already made provisions for. And that's why we can breathe. We can play it loose. We don't have to sweat it. We don't have to worry so much. He's already made it right. See, in the hope of heaven, no matter what, if you're wrongly accused and end up in a life without parole, well, that's not forever. You will get set free from there. If you end up in a wheelchair or a bed, that's not forever. That's a number of days, and then you get a new body. You get set free. No matter what happens to us in this world, see, we have the hope of heaven where God has already made it right. And that's great news, but the older I get, the more that I truly have to, have to stand on that. So this leads to the question then, what does this world really need? A judge or a doctor? See, when I'm sick, I don't call my lawyer. <laughs> 
See, when I'm sick, I need a doctor. And the more that we start to understand that this world is sick, it's spiritually sick. It's not just bad or evil. Now, don't get me wrong. There are some demoniacs out there. I think there are truly evil people that have given themselves over to the dark side. But by and large, these people, most people aren't bad. They're lost. Christ came to seek and save the lost. John 3:16 and 17 For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. So that is great news. God doesn't show up as the judge in this age. He's showing up as the doctor. He wants to save. He wants to heal. Now, I'm pretty quick to, you know, there's an old joke that says the young cry for justice, the old cry for mercy. (laughs) But that's kind of how I've morphed in my case. More and more, I understand that what we need is healing, not punishment. So when this part of the serenity prayer talks about surrender, surrendering to God. What does that look like? What does that mean? You see, I think that really means that we set aside our self-will and decide we are going to do things His way. In Proverbs 3.5, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding." In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your paths straight. When we surrender to God, when we decide we are going to do things his way, then we start to come into the understanding that he has got this. Surrender leads to serenity. We are okay because God is in control. And this is what we talk about a lot here at Hope in this ministry. A grace-based ministry, why do we preach grace? Because we like it? No, because it's the truth. If you read the Bible and you don't see grace on every page, uh, maybe you got a defective version. (laughs) Maybe the book is broken, because when I read that book, it's chock full of grace. But when we surrender to God, We talk in here about calibrating our gaze and our glance, gazing at God, glancing at our troubles, gazing at God's grace and mercy, glancing at our current problems, glancing at this world. We talk a lot, too, about now versus then, because the Bible constantly talks about now. In this world, we will have trouble. Now we will have some pain and suffering. Now we will have some trials and temptations. Now we will have some struggles. But then, then, everything is going to be all right. Because today, everything is all right in heaven. Our job is to go there where it's okay. And it's our job to not go alone. Let's take some people with us. So in the meantime, you know, I'm not a pacifist. (laughs) 
I'm not against trying to affect political solutions in this world. I'm not above trying to find some legal solutions, some administrative solutions. I think that's part of what we're supposed to do down here is try to make things better. Even if we can't stop them, we can maybe slow them down. <laughs> but that's not our primary job. Primarily, our job isn't to save the planet or save the spotted owls. It's to save the people. And you see, that's what we are called to do. Save the people. Be part of that ministry, part of that work. And in that way, we don't go alone. So I think that makes sense to me. In the meantime, the two elements we need, patience and perseverance. Don't stop. Don't give up. Don't surrender to the wrong side. Keep moving forward. And I think that's the primary message that we hopefully will give us some serenity. So with that, why don't we uh, stand for closing prayer? Lord, we just want to thank you because of your nature and character. Thank you that you are loving and patient and merciful and grace And thank you, Lord, for extending so much kindness and mercy and patience to us. And help us, Lord, to be filled with that and to go out and extend those very qualities to others. In your name, in Jesus' name, amen.